days, uh, hopefully celebrating with friends or family or neighbors or coworkers, whoever it might be. Um, so I wanted to kind of start with my junior year of college. It was my junior year of college, uh, actually April of my junior year of college. Uh, the reason I remember it so specifically is because of what followed uh, what I'm about to tell you. I decided that uh, I was going to cook legitimately for the first time in my life. Um, I felt like I was of an age that I could legally drink. I could be drafted and go off to war. I should be able to cook something. And so I decided to cook something. Um, it was a chicken breast. And um, I had no idea how to chicken, cook a chicken breast, but I decided to ch- cook a chicken breast and to kind of date how old I am. This was before the days of YouTube, so you couldn't look up a tutorial of how to cook a chicken breast. And so I just threw that thing on a frying pan, and I was just like, hopefully this thing will work out, and I'll sort of eyeball it, and hopefully it'll work out. It did not work out. Very shortly, it was smoking and then flaming, and very soon, the, uh, the uh, fire alarm in my dorm was resounding, and not only in my dorm, but the totality of the dorm complex, multi-level, many, many units, brant, 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 smoke everywhere, and I'm just staring off into the distance, ashamed, waiting for the fireman to come and to rebuke me. And so I just stared off into the distance, and the fireman, uh, you know, they, they arrived. I could just sort of hear the sirens from a distance, and then closer, 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 and then them, like, burst through the, uh, the first floor and then work their way up the stairs with all their heavy equipment, and they walk into my dorm, and you know the first thing these firemen, they said to me, they looked at the, uh, the Christmas tree that was in the common area uh, of our, our dorm, and they looked at me, and they said to me, why do you still have your Christmas tree up in April? It was a fake Christmas tree, okay? It was a fake Christmas tree. To which I responded, uh, quite cool and collected, particularly given the circumstances, I might add, because I love Christmas. Um, that's what I said, and I do love Christmas. That's how much I love Christmas. I love Christmas. I love Christmas very, very much. And I think for a multitude of reasons, I think back on my childhood and the nostalgia, the romanticism of those early years and asking for something and that thing appearing and it just being, uh, you know, just truly, truly magical. And now as I've grown older, and I think grown and increased awareness over even what happened at the first Christmas in history that really is the root foundation for why we do what it is that we're doing. Um, just a, an increased appreciation of its complexity and its beauty and its historicity and really its applicability as well. The fact that the first Christmas speaks so well and calms so well so many of our modern day fears and anxieties because of the modern age. Um, and so with that, I just want to kind of read to you a very brief, um, famous line from the first Christmas from Luke's gospel, and then uh, we'll talk about, like, why does this matter for our lives? Luke writes this, and and probably many of you have heard this before, uh, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So you have shepherds watching a flock of sheep, and all of a sudden, boom, out of nowhere, these angels burst on the scene, and the shepherds are not like, this is amazing. They are freaked out. In fact, the text, it says they are filled with not just fear, but with great fear. They are tremendously freaked out. Now, why were these shepherds freaked out? Two reasons. The first reason It's just because in the Bible, anytime anyone encountered the divine, 
it was an overwhelmingly frightening uh, experience. In our culture, we sort of have this flippancy and casualness as it, as it uh, pertains to God. But in the Bible, when people actually encountered God, it was an overwhelming thing. It was holistically overwhelming for the totality of who they were as a person. Now, secondly, and more applicably to kind of the particular text that we're looking at, the reason these guys are freaked out in particular is because they are shepherds. And, uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit about shepherds, but shepherds, when, you know, like, if you were a shepherd and if God showed up, you were not operating from the posture of, like, he must be so pleased with us. He must be so happy to us. He must be here to tell us good news. Uh, you would be scared. You would assume, we're in trouble. What did you do? Oh, my gosh, he is going to kill us. Now, the reason for this, and it's important for you to understand, is that in every single culture, there is a social hierarchy, particularly as it pertains to jobs. There's people at the top of the social hierarchy. There's people at the bottom of the social hierarchy. And it's the same way in our culture here as well, where, you know, you tell somebody what it is that you do. You know, that's one of the first questions we ask people, right? Like, what is your name? What is it that you do? And you respond to that question, what is it that you do? And kind of by that person's response, you see kind of the degree of respect they might have for you. So after this, uh, we will leave these doors. We'll go into that room. There will be cookies provided. Thanks be to God. And, uh, and hopefully you'll meet your neighbors. Like that's kind of the heart behind this as well as you'll meet people in this community that you didn't know. You'll meet people um, from this neighborhood that you don't know. And you might say, hey, what's your name? Uh, what is it that you do for a living? If you respond to that, you know, like, oh, I'm a doctor. And, um, you know, I, in my free time, actually use my gifts to save the lives of children as well. You know, people are going to respond like, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. You're wealthy. You're educated. You're sacrificial. Oh, my gosh, you're the total package. But others of you don't have that type of job, right? Like, you respond with what it is that you do, and you don't get a response of respect, but instead sort of bizarreness, uh, eyes glazed over, or just lack of respect altogether. And as somebody who is a pastor in an incredibly unchurched city. This happens to me all the time where I'll be in a coffee shop and somebody will ask me what it is I do and I tell them and they're not like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. That's so uh, sacrificial of you. They're like, I don't really understand what you do. You seem a little weird. I want to get out of this conversation as quickly as possible. That's just the way, it doesn't hurt my feelings. It's just the way that it works, right? In every culture, even in our own culture, there's a hierarchy as it pertains to what it is that you do. There's a top and a bottom. And what's really important for you to understand, in first century uh, Middle Eastern culture, a shepherd was at the very, very bottom. They were the worst of the worst. The problem, here, here's the problem, is that shepherds have been overly romanticized by our kids' Christmas pageants, right? So like the shepherd in the Christmas pageant is usually the cutest kid, and they got a staff and a fake beard, and all of you are like, I don't even know that kid, but I want to Instagram that kid because, oh my gosh, like that is the cutest thing I've ever seen. I'm not anti-Christmas pageants. That's why I preceded this whole thing saying I love Christmas. I love the entirety of Christmas. But Christmas pageants are a lot of times historically and factually inaccurate, and they lead you to having maybe a little bit of a, uh, a distorted perspective on what really happened. Shepherds were not cute. They were not admired. They were the worst of the worst. They were the people that were watching professionally over these woolly, top-heavy, slow, unable-to-defend-themselves livestock, right? Like, they couldn't, like... You're covered with animal fluids at all times. You were on the outskirts. You were weird. And, you know, the interesting thing is, who are these shepherds protecting these sheep from? Wolves, right? Like wolves and other predators. How do you protect a sheep from a wolf in the first century? You don't have, like, a sniper rifle. You do understand that, right? So it's not like somebody's like, hey, is that a wolf off in the horizon? Yeah, hand me the sniper rifle. Boom, dead. No, that's not an option to you in the first century. So how do you kill a wolf in the first century with your bare freaking hands? Oh my gosh, right? Like these guys are trained professional 
bare hand, maybe with a staff, woof, killers. They were not the type of people that you were like, oh, that's so cute. Can I get a picture of you to post on social media? It's interesting. These guys were actually so bizarre because of what it is that they did professionally, right? Like, if you said that's what you did out there, people would be like, whoa. They were so bizarre for what they did professionally, and they were actually so distrusted because of what they did professionally, that they actually, they're, they're, in most cultures, their testimony was not even admissible in a court of law. Isn't that interesting? So unbelievably interesting. And so these are the type of guys that when an angel shows up, you're not like, man, he must be so well pleased with us. They're saying more along the lines of like, we're freaked out because we're going to die. He knows what I've done. He knows what you've done. Oh my gosh, we are going to die. It's kind of like, and maybe, you know, this is Christmas Eve, so you get some kind of unlikely church-going people in the room. You might be the type of person who got dragged here by your family or out of obligation, and you might be thinking to yourself, and I had this conversation just two weeks ago in our own neighborhood where somebody said to me, I would never come to your church because I'm the type of person, if you knew what I did, as soon as I walked through the doors, God is going to strike me dead. And some of you might like, be like, is it going to happen to me? No, you're okay, okay, just chill. Um, but the point is that the shepherds were these kinds of men. The shepherds were the kind of men that if they were going to walk into a church, we're going to say, if they know what I've done, if they know what you've done, we're going to get struck down by lightning. We're going to burst into flames spontaneously. Like, it is not going to go very well to us. And how beautifully bizarre, how beautifully surprising it must have been that the first words that come out of the mouth of this angel that scared them so much was, don't be afraid. Isn't that interesting? Don't be afraid. Because I bringing you good news of great joy. Now, that sentence, there's two questions I want to ask of it that I think make this passage, uh, this little famous passage, just very, very uh, applicable to all of us. First, why does he say, I bring you good news? Why is it that I say, he says, I bring you good news? That's an interesting thing for him to say. Now, it's interesting that um, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and uh, in this, if you kind of just translate it very, very literally, What the the angel would actually say to the shepherds is say, don't be afraid because I bring you the gospel. The gospel is just a way of saying good news. And it's interesting. News at its very essence is something not to go and do, but actually something to simply be uh, received, right? If I said to you, hey, did you hear the news? You wouldn't respond back to me. Like, what did I do? What am I supposed to do? I'd be like, that's not the socially acceptable way to respond to that. If I said, hey, like, did you hear the news? You'd be like, what happened, right? Because the essence of news is not something you go and do, but instead, it's something that somebody else has gone and done. And it's interesting, in the initial proclamation of the gospel, of the initial proclamation that God is stepping out of heaven into history, that God is in the manger, the first declaration is not a list of rules. The first declaration is not uh, steps to living a more self-actualized life. The first declaration is, behold, simply see, witness, believe, receive what God has done for you. Isn't that interesting? We bring you good news. A number of you in this room, you might think the essence of Christianity is basically God comes and from a distance gives a list of rules in order for you to sort of lift yourself up by your own bootstraps so that you might hopefully one day go to heaven as opposed to hell. That's not what the angels proclaim. The angels proclaim good news, something that God has done entirely, completely on his own, and that we are supposed to receive and believe. And that God has not remained distant and far, but that God is actually in the manger. He has drawn near. Now, the second question that we should ask ourselves, not just why would he say good news, 
But why would he say, uh, or why would this declaration be given to shepherds, right? Like, think about this uh, logically from a second, uh, logically for a second, where you would say, okay, it's a little bit bizarre <laughs> that some of the first eyewitnesses of the gospel are people whose eyewitness testimony is not allowed in a court of law. Like, did God get confused? Did he get, like, messed up on the legal code? Like, oh, I thought those were those people, not the shepherds. Like, what, what exactly is it that's going on here? Well, I think the reason the shepherds are some of the first people to receive the good news, to receive the gospel, is because to the shepherds, the gospel actually was really good news. And you see, here's the interesting thing, is that good news, particularly the good news of the gospel, is not good news if you don't first agree that the bad news of the gospel is actually really, really bad. And there's some people that understand that, and there's some people who, don't understand, who do understand that, and the shepherds were people who absolutely, absolutely got this. Now, we don't like kind of talking about the bad news of Christmas because it's a bummer, right? Like, we just kind of want, like, the worst uh, particular conflict we might go against is, like, will Santa be able to get his sleigh off or not? Like, will that... But it's like, let's be more kind of honest about the brokenness of the world and the context in which God breaks into. Even just take a step back and think about the bad news that really is the backdrop for the entirety of the story of God breaking in. Maybe kind of the best way to frame it for it to make sense is to think about it like a road trip with your, your family. Did anybody go on road trips with their family uh, growing up? Yeah. Now, some of you are with your family, so the questions I'm about to ask here are going to be a little bit awkward. So you don't have to give a show of hands, but you can if you just want to put that out there. Whoever on that road trip, uh, how, many of you, uh, how many of you ever um, got into a conflict with a sibling in the back seat in the middle of that, right? Like, and if dad is driving, there's sort of an escalating degree of kind of threats and consequence, right? So like if dad is like, you kids knock it off back there, you're like, I don't think he even means that, right? You're like, you're like he says stuff like that all the time. And like, pop, you're, like, you're just like hitting your brother straight in the arm. Again, not that I'm speaking from personal experience, but I've heard other people might have done that uh, from, from time to time, right? But if dad says, don't make me come back there, it's like, oh, right? Is he serious? Is he not serious? He's still driving. Surely he wouldn't pull, you know, so maybe like, pop, pop, you know, I got to get these in real quick. But did anybody's dad actually pull over the car? Right. And if you can remember, for those of you who raise your hands and those of you who are afraid to raise your hand, when dad pulls over the car, you're like, we're going to die. Right? Like, you're just like, we're going to die because he pulled over the car and he never pulls over the car. Oh my gosh, what is it that's going to happen? It's like, right, like, like when dad actually has to come into the back seat, you know that things are really, really bad. Now, here's what's interesting about Christmas is that the eternal father of the universe, the one who spoke and the world was, chose to halt the car of the human story to actually get into the back seat himself. But not, here's the interesting twist here, but not as some emotionally unstable disciplinarian, but rather to be born in a manger, that even from the manger he would have the cross in mind to grow into a man, to go to the cross, to inflict blows, not on us, but actually he would receive the blows we deserve for our disobedience in our place. And there's some people that look at that entire story and they're like, I'm not bad, I'm not that bad, the world's not that bad, it doesn't really degree that, or it doesn't really, uh, you know, the world doesn't really deserve that type of intervention. All we need is rules, all we need is principles, all we need is education, all we need is improved political policy. And there's some people that look at the brokenness inside of them and around them, and they're like, 
That is such good news. And the shepherds were the type of men, these outcast men, these disenfranchised men, these people that were a laughing stock, these people that were totally aware, I am broken and the world is broken and I'm not the way that I should be. The world's not the way that it should be. Oh my gosh, God becoming man to fix the problem for himself. God coming to the back seat of the car to put the world back together in the way that it's meant to be. Oh my gosh, that's good news. You know, it's interesting. When I first moved to Denver, um, now almost exactly seven years ago, um, you know, I knew I wanted to be in the urban core of the city to, to help start this church, and um, I met with somebody uh, who, just a few blocks away from here, was doing, like, true city center uh, ministry. He was um, doing work amongst the homeless and amongst a uh, uh, population that was huge drug po- problems, and we were having lunch at the uh, Welton Street Cafe. Does anybody know the Welton Street Cafe? You're a true local if you know the, uh, the Welton Street Cafe. And uh, he was telling me all this, all of what he does, and story after story, and I just said to him, oh my gosh, this is like Green Beret ministry. This is like the hardest thing, like nobody, like, this is the hardest thing I've ever heard. And he paused, he said, let me stop you there, because people say that to me a lot, that actually, you know what, the ministry I did before this one was actually in a wealthy suburb just outside of Denver, and people were able to, because of their education, their talents, and their jobs, and the amount of money they made, they were able to sort of create this existence where they were able to hide the fact that they were broken, and the world is broken, and that was way harder than what I'm doing right now. He's like, to them, the gospel was like an infringement on their vacation plans. But the people that I'm working with now, they know they're broken, and they know the world is broken, and to them, the gospel is good news. The reason I say all of that is because I think Christmas is a really interesting time where there's a tremendous degree of uh, bipolarity, right? There's kind of this expectation of like joy and happiness and this is perfect and it's the most magical time of the year and then I think there's also like we're at the end of 2017 and both at a personal and a societal level, 2017 was really hard for a lot of us. You know, it's like I know we overreact but it's just interesting again and again on internet threads, people being like, could 2018 please not be just half as terrible as 2017 was? And some of you, not just from a cultural or social or global level, but from a personal individual level, went through really, really difficult things, and you feel kind of torn at this particular time of year where it's hard for you to just sort of smile and pretend like everything is okay. And here's what I want to say to you, is if you're struggling at this time of year with not just joy, but actually bad news, both personally or culturally or societally or globally, actually, you're not alone. You're not an outcast. Actually, you are an outcast, but you're an outcast in the legacy of the shepherds. And to you, the gospel actually is good news. And so what I pray for you (laughs) is at this time of year, much joy. I'm not trying to be a major bummer here, right? Like, Sing songs and watch Christmas movies and enjoy presents and celebrate with people you love and eat cookies to the glory of God because it's one of the greatest proof that he loves us and he's real that cookies exist, right? But at the same time, if you weep or are sorrowful or are struggling or if this has been a hard year for you or whatever it might be, you are not alone. You are in the legacy of the shepherds and God is in the manger. And in the manger, God had the cross in mind. And through the work of the cross, everything that is sad is coming untrue. All right, let's pray, and then uh, we'll sing.
God, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you for its complexity and its robustness, and we thank you that it's something more than empty sentimentality. And um, just so thankful uh, that you came to us, thankful that you saw the degree of brokenness that was in the world, and you did not stand far off. You didn't even just give a bunch of principles for people to live uh, better lives. But instead, uh, you came near and became a baby who would grow into a man, and that you would inflict blows, but you would actually receive those blows rather than inflict them upon us. We thank you for the work of your salvation. We thank you for the work of your gospel. And I pray we would see this good news. We would receive it with great joy, and we would see it clearly uh, this particular Christmas season. We saw all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.